Good morning, and welcome to the Lotus Flower Podcast. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Pamela Robinson. Here today, we are super excited this morning to have with us a very special guest. However, before we introduce our special guest, we want you to know that the Lotus Flower Podcast aim is to educate, equip, and empower our listening audience with culturally relevant, spiritually uplifting topics. Join us here at the Lotus Flower Podcast. As you join us for the podcast, you will find out that you will be encouraged, you will be motivated, and you will walk away feeling as though you have found a new way to identify and to look at different situations that you go through in your own personal life. The Lotus Flower podcast here is depicted from the name of the flower, the beautiful pink and white lotus flower. It is the flower that blooms out of adverse situations. You see, the lotus flower grows in muddy, murky waters to rise through this treacherous condition and bloom and blossom into a beautiful pink and white flower. It signifies the strength as it moves into the dark and into the light. Its strength and determination lies within its inner being to push out of life difficulties. This is what our lotus flower is likened to. It's likened to the positivity and the resilience that that flower portrays. You see, our podcast guests, as they share from the depths of their spirit, they're sharing their positive stories. They're sharing how they've been able to push past life adverse situations and how they have been able to champion causes that oftentimes can be controversial in nature. Why? Because they want to fill the atmosphere with a beautiful natural fragrance that you, our listening audience, can actually partake from and be encouraged from and learn to bloom and blossom yourselves. Listen to the Lotus Flower podcast on Spotify, Reason FM, Amazon Music Podcast, Google Podcast, RSS feed, and Wix.com. And be sure to like, share, and most importantly, subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Won't you help us reach our goal of 700 subscribers by the end of this year? Once again, be sure to subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Oftentimes in our world, we go through pandemics. However, we have not gone through a pandemic like the one that we are actually experiencing at this time in our world, the pandemic. We want to talk today about God's sovereignty during a pandemic. We know in 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7, it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. Over the last several weeks, days, and months, the world has changed rapidly as we have come to grips with the effects of the global pandemic. It's easy to allow fear or anxiety to, to creep in, but in times like these, it's important to remind ourselves of the sovereignty of God who rules over everything, including the coronavirus. Today, 
on our Lotus Flower podcast. We are joined by Megan Floyd. Megan is the Children and Youth and Family Minister at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Portage, Michigan. She earned her BA from Purdue University with a double major in psychology and sociology and a minor in law. Working in ministry was not Megan's original plan, but the Holy Spirit had other ideas. She began working at Prince of Peace in 2010 and decided to commit fully by earning an MA from the Lutheran Seminary in Children and Youth and Family Ministry. In addition to her work at Prince of Peace, Megan has served regionally and nationally for youth ministry in the ELCA. The Holy Spirit continues to call and Megan has now returned to the Lutheran Seminary to complete an MDiv and is in candidacy for ordination in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Megan lives in Portage with her husband, Bill, and their two kids, Sabrina and Kara, along with two dogs, two cats, and a loving family environment. Today, as we reflect on the story of the pandemic and how the Holy Spirit has challenged and changed us during the Holy Spirit, during this time of the pandemic, we know that this has been an unprecedented time and it has turned our world literally upside down. No one can believe that we'll ever go back to the way things were. And everyone seems to be asking, will this be our new reality forever? Now through the years, we've all gone through what we would call uncharted waters in our own lives. And we've asked ourselves, how can our situations help when things seem to be so chaotic? Well, Megan has championed the call and she has asked herself, how can I help in this time of the pandemic? Megan, has decided that she would help by teaching a course at her church on systemic racism. COVID has been and is a terrible thing, yet it gave Megan an opportunity to change her pace and pay closer attention to what was happening in her world. So as she took on this journey, she decided to teach the class on systemic racism at her church. She wants you to know, however, that in teaching the course, she isn't an expert, nor is she a professionally trained anti-racism facilitator. However, the Lord put it upon her spirit to teach the course and therefore she answered the call. Many of the people that were in the class were studying systemic racism for the very first time, seeing their eyes being opened very wide and their understanding being broadened. However, many of the people were actually already trained in systemic racism and came and learned even more. As they learned, they unlearned. And the destruction that COVID-19 has caused in our communities, specifically amongst people of color and amongst racism, was actually dismantled a bit as Megan taught the course. So today, we're going to talk with Megan a bit about the class and how things went and how the Lord used her in this teaching. Megan, welcome again 
to the Lotus Flower Podcast, and we are super excited to have you here with us this morning. Can you tell us a little bit more about, as I spoke about COVID and the challenges that it has presented to us, specifically in the area of, of racism? We'd say, well, how does that tie into a pandemic? <laughs> yeah, hi. Um, yeah, so the 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 class that I taught, um, it 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 came about because um, because of the murder of George Floyd, and it was uh, it as a minister, it was a time when um, I needed to process, and the people that I ministered to needed to process. And we came together to process it together and, and we just started talking about the causes of racism and, and the, you know, how, why is our country the way it is? Um, and, and really it grew from there. It wasn't um, uh, each time we met, it was about, uh, we, we decided what to talk, what they wanted to talk about at the next session. Um, and, and so then that's what I would prepare for. Uh, and then I ended up repeating that two more times with two other groups uh, during the course of the pandemic. And so when we say, when I say that uh, COVID actually created this opportunity, um, it was because everything else was shut down, there wasn't my, my regular pace of my job was was changed as was the uh, obligations and schedules of the people that were take, you know take, uh, going on this journey with me um, and so we had time to stop and reflect about what was going on in our world and um, and then to your second question the how does the pandemic affect uh, how, how is it linked with racism um, I think that you don't have to go any farther than looking at statistics and how the um, how people of color and low income people were hit so much harder than other populations, uh, and and it it is because there are less access to healthcare. Um, people in lower income brackets are working the jobs that put them most in contact with the public, uh, less access to um, mitigating factors, uh, mitigating things like PPE. We had all of that uh, issue in the beginning where we couldn't even get the, <clears throat> the things that would help protect our population. And um, yeah, and so it, it was not, so it was a pandemic. We were, all, we were all facing the pandemic together, but we were, uh, what people were saying, oh, we're all in this boat together. And it's like, not everybody's boat is the same. <laughs> and, right. uh, and so the, you know, and then when you think about, um, so it's, it's, you just begin to scratch the surface, okay? So you have, uh, people who uh, lower income people are getting hit harder. They have fewer resources saved up to get them through a time of being laid off from from jobs, from positions. And so, if you are, if you if you don't have savings, and suddenly your job goes away because of a pandemic, and there's no income protection, you know, then then that throws you into a financial hole. And it's so much harder to dig out of. And it's just, it compounds, it compounds. Um, and unfortunately in our country, people of color are more, more people of, more lower income people are people of color than, than otherwise. And, but that also is systemic. That is also something that was created and engineered that way um, ever since the country was founded. And that's right. And going on farther from from redlining, and it was it, it was engineered that way. Um, so that that I mean, but this is <laughs> that is a that is a big big thing. And so that's that's really what we started unpacking as a group when we came together and talked in the class was how did we get this way? And it's not a simple answer. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it's important to it's important to start scratching it and and looking beneath the surface and then in like peeling back the layers and every time you peel back a layer it hurts because it's it's terrible people humans we've done terrible things to each other um, that's right so, so 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 these so these social and political contacts that you've that you've mentioned they help us to explain another pandemic and yeah. and that is the pandemic of of disproportionately of yeah. black african americans um actually being disproportionately killed by mm -hmm. police violence uh, which is a public health problem and we see that yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic there was a wide outbreak in the united states um, and if we look at the data on racial disparities uh, related to the coronavirus infection, uh, the death is staggering amongst African-American in our communities, uh, in our country at large. It's three times the rate of that of our white counterparts, according to the Washington Post. You see, um, it talks about that racial disparity and police violence is is starking we we all know about the death of george floyd it, it was horrific you know mm -hmm. watching that officer with his foot on that man's neck for over nine i believe minutes or whatnot and and i know that in itself um is is looked at by all americans i would think as being somewhat of a pandemic why as we said, because it is systemic. It's actually those types of things, the foot on the neck signifies oppression amongst African-American people that is built into the system. So when we look at that, it, which is so hard to look at, just like it's hard to look at racism in the face. So when we look at that officer's foot on the neck, we can liken that to, to the oppression of black people. And that is why Megan, I believe you found this a cause that you had to champion after looking at what has been going on in our world. Is is that somewhat correct? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I it was about eight ish years ago that I first started exploring racism uh, seriously, and. And it was when I was set, I had the opportunity to take the um, two and a half day seminar training through Erase in Kalamazoo. Yes. And um, and it opened my eyes to something that once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't you you can't turn away anymore. And um, <laughs> I think it was uh, Austin Channing Brown who said. Um, doing nothing is no longer an option. And so once, once you, as a, you know, as a person who cares about society, once you start seeing this, you have to keep going. And so I, I studied and I read and, but it was, it was something that I was doing for my own knowledge and my own growth. Um, it was never something that I had the opportunity necessarily to share with others. It was just something I did. And then when the pandemic hit and uh, George Floyd was murdered and all of this started, the social unrest started happening um, around that, suddenly there was an opportunity and I was, like you said, put in a position where all of these factors just led to um, people asking me to share what I had learned with them. And I, I couldn't have planned it. You know what I mean? It wasn't, <laughs> it, I do believe it was the spirit because it just, it just fell into place. Um, and, and, you know, when I, when I, even when I say that though, uh, I'm 42 years old and to say that it was only eight years ago that I started looking at that, I was still a full grown adult, but I had been raised, I'm a white person. So I raised among white people and uh, I swim in the water of white privilege. And I, it is the air that we breathe. Our country is, is, is designed, is engineered 
to benefit white people. And, and so, and the most insidious thing about this system is that it is designed to be invisible to white people. Mm-hmm. And so unless you're willing to put on the glasses and look, look at what's actually going on, um, you can live your whole life in complete denial and, and, and just think that, you know, well, you know, everybody just uh, needs to work hard. <laughs> and it's not, that's not the case that we're all hardworking people. Um, so it's, it's hard, it's hard as an adult to look back and say, I lived over 30 years, not really taking it seriously or, or thinking that it was an issue of people being nice or mean um, or not, you know, it, that, it, that it was an issue of, of prejudice, personal prejudice, not really truly understanding that is literally the roots of our country, that we, we, our country was designed from the beginning to be this way. And so Absolutely. when we are trying to dismantle it, it's not simply a matter of teaching people to be nice. It's not about being nice. It's about the systems that are in place that, that, that are designed and that have long-term effects. Um, exactly. I was saying exactly that had the long-term effects on, mm-hmm. on the, on people. And, and I love how you said that as white people, that sometimes you're actually um, reared to not see what is going on. And I, I would say as an African-American woman that looking in, and I sometimes I think it's unintentional, however, when you have the blinders on, because mm-hmm. it's, I, I do believe that a majority of people that it's, it is unintentional. They don't realize it's going on. And so if you don't realize something is going on around you, you just go on with your life as normal. Right. I had, a, I had just recently had a friend of mine tell me that, you know, she was a woman around your same age and a, a Caucasian woman. And she said, I had no idea what privileged I had as a white mm-hmm. person until my daughter married. She said, until my daughter married a, a white man and they had a biracial child together, they started experiencing a lot of racism amongst them. And we were expected secondarily. And she said that we had to learn what it was that our daughter-in-law was going through. Yeah. So it, so she took an anti-racism course herself and her mm-hmm. eyes were open to her white privilege. This is a woman in her late forties as well. And so I, I just want to share that the uh, structural racism is something that, that is overarching in our systems of racial yeah. bias across institutions and yep. in our society. Okay, these, yeah. these systems, they give privileges to white people, which result in disadvantages to people of color. Right. Well, and you know, our, our society is still segregated. And so we, you know, it starts, it starts in our communities, in our schools, um, in our churches. And the, the, the less that we share life together, the less likely we are to be able to see what our neighbors are struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I am deeply moved by relationship. And that is where I see Christ. And mm-hmm. so in those relationships, you can't build those relationships unless you're willing to share life with people who are different from you. And if you right. only ever surround yourself with people who are in the same situation, same uh, status, same everything with you, if, you, if your world is homogenous, then um, it's very easy to start believing that everybody's experience is the same as your own. Um, and so you, you, have to, you have to not only um, enter into uh, spaces that are different than yours, but you have to be vulnerable enough to enter into relationship. Um, and that's a two-way street. Like I can't, I, I can't just walk into um, a space that's 
predominantly black and expect people to trust me or share with me or anything like that, I, they would have no reason to. Um, and, uh, but, but in entering into relationships, like, like you and I have a relationship and so we can sit down and have this conversation together, right. but that's, and, and I think that that's truly special and I don't take it for granted. Um, yes. yeah, so that's so true, Megan. And, um, I, I know that, um, that, that no one is, is born racist or, or, or an anti racist uh, these results from the choices that we make being been an anti-racist results from a conscious decision like you said to make frequent consistent and equitable choices daily these choices they require ongoing self-awareness as you spoke self-reflection as you said as we move through our lives in the absence of making anti-racist choices we can unlearn and if we don't do this then we like you said we will uphold to the aspects of white supremacy and white culture dominance and the unequal uh, things that we see in our systems and in our yeah. society and as as you spoke so eloquently and and you share from a pace of passion about this topic i want people that are listening to the podcast to know that you can unlearn unlearn what it means to have white privilege and all there is a ted talk that was done by verna myers so write this down those that are listening and i'd like for you to do some homework out there. The TED Talk by Verna Myers, V-E-R-N-A-M-Y-E-R-S, talks about acknowledging your own biases. So go ahead, in your own spare time, look up that TED Talk and go ahead and unlearn your own biases. And I'm sure that Megan has some resources that she could suggest as well. What types of resources did you use when you were preparing for your class? Yeah, so I used um, all things that were available for free on the internet. And I actually, I'm, since I'm sitting at my computer, I can pull it up. Um, the I used a, a collection of podcasts and um, uh, videos online and uh, magazine articles and things like that. Um, and and since this the the since the people that I was working with were white people, really the the course was a crash course for white people. This is, so, so the very first thing that we talked about was um, uh, Peggy McIntosh uh, has, uh, I believe it was actually from the 70s, uh, late eight, early 80s. It's called White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. And for white people, that's a great place to start because it, mm -hmm. start, it, it, um, uh, it begins to sort of peel back those layers. Um, and then since this was through our church, I also started with um, our own uh, denominational resource uh, from the ELCA, uh, racial justice work. It was the definition because I wanted us to start with, start from a place of understanding that we, when we talk about this, we're all using the same definitions, same words, uh, mm -hmm. so that we could help um, understand each other. And uh, the, there's, a, um, there's a website called Good Black News and it has a fantastic article on it. Uh, it said, what I said to my white friend, what I said when my white friend asked for my black opinion on white privilege is the article. And it's, it's really great. Oh, dear. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I, I used podcasts. Um, I really like Brene Brown. So some interviews with Ibram X. Kendi and Austin Channing Brown, um, some videos on the Bible Project uh, talking about justice. Um, 
uh, Robin D'Angelo's uh, interview with about her book, White Fragility. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an excellent uh, recording online uh, of, a, of a talk that was local to us. Um, it's called How FDR Segregated Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. And it's about redlining. I was actually uh, talking with my college students about this last night about redlining. Um, so Pamela, you had mentioned that uh, to be anti-racist, we have to every day make these choices, right? And we yes. have to we have to choose to live into this. Um, but I think we also have to actively work to dismantle systems that were set up in the past that have had adverse effects and redlining is one of them. Um, and that is uh, back in the 30s when the Federal Housing Administration created more uh, uh, government backed mortgages. These mortgages were only available to white people. And um, at that time, more than 50% of the of of Black people owned their own home. And uh, through systematically uh, dividing up areas and redlining areas where pe uh, Black people lived, they were able to uh, not, so um, Black people were systematically cut out of the mortgage market, uh, mm -hmm. of the homeowner market. And then people who did own their homes, uh, they were in areas where they were um, cut off from services uh, or systematically moved into uh, less desirable areas. And, and then homes, uh, they couldn't get them repaired. You know, it's just, it's this whole system and it, and it created, so you then fast forward, for white people, the number one source of wealth is their home. Mm -hmm. They have the ability to, to, to build wealth right. through home ownership and through increased property values and through, um, uh, through paying into that, that system. And it was made possible through, through government-backed mortgages, through FHA loans. Yeah. And so then when you then have a whole whole populations that were not allowed to do this, um, you fast forward now and you have, um, you have incredible uh, unequal system of, of white people having wealth and, and, and black people not having uh, generational wealth. So that was a very non-eloquent way of just of sort of summarizing redlining. Um, but it's, it's, it's important to understand that our communities are segregated intentionally. It was engineered that way. Uh, it, it, and that, that in itself le leads us right into institutional racism. Yeah. When you talk about the red lining, it goes mm -hmm. into, into that, how this occurs in our organizations mm -hmm. and that these discriminatory treatments the unfair policies, the biases, the practices based on race that result in inequitable outcomes for white people over people of color, they extend considerably beyond prejudice. They extend into these institutions, as you talked about redlining yeah. and all, that it creates a disadvantage in our school systems amongst mm -hmm. children of color. It frequently disrupts their education because they're in crowded classrooms, mm -hmm. unfunded school systems, and they have uh, a higher um, a higher dropout rate, even in our Kalamazoo County with the, uh, we have what we call here, the Kalamazoo Promise for those that are listening from other states and maybe even other countries. We have a Kalamazoo Promise that actually will pay for up to 100% of a person's college tuition if they attend the Kalamazoo public schools. So even with that being in place, we are still experiencing a higher than normal dropout rate amongst 
people of color. That ties right into what you talked about. Yes, redlining has to do with the mortgages and housing sales, but that institutional racism in our organizations, it's all tied together. And it's, it is bias. It's even implicit or it's structural bias. People do it intentionally yeah. or they may not be intentional just because it's built in. It just becomes something yeah. that's natural. Well, and it's, it's not okay for, um, for a white person to say, well, I didn't design that system. It's not my fault. I mean, I, I understand that reaction because that's true. No, 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 no person my age, no, <laughs> no middle-aged white person alive today was the one who designed that system. Yet we have all benefited from it. Yes. And we look across at our neighbors and we look at neighborhoods that are predominantly black and, um, and we, we need to understand that it was designed to be that way. We were designed to be segregated. Not, not, not we were designed, but our neighborhoods were engineered that way through federal government policies. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's how we ended up. And then you have these neighborhoods that are you know, now less, seg- uh, less integrated than they were before. So before the 30s, Kalamazoo was a pretty integrated city. Um, mm-hmm. And then with through the redlining policies, we became more segregated. And, um, and so now we have, um, as you said, we have schools where uh, they're located in uh, places, you know, and then of course, don't even get me started on how we fund schools through property taxes. Exactly. <laughs> and well, another podcast in itself. <laughs> oh yeah. So you have uh, schools that are underfunded and schools that are overfunded. And uh, when people say, oh, the good schools, they, they often mean the white schools. Um, and, uh, but, but what we are, but here's the thing, it's what we lose, what we lose when we go to a segregated school is cultural competency. Right. We are surrounding ourselves in a fishbowl of, of homogenous culture, but the world is not homogenous. Right. And so we are sending, we are launching our, our white baby teenagers, our white baby adults out into the world. And they have no idea how to function in, an, in, in a multicultural world. They don't exactly. have that competency. And, right. um, and then they also, they don't, I mean, the, there's such beauty and joy in, in all of the different flavors of being human, right? Across the world. There's, That's right. there's so much out there. And, and we, as, as white people, we do ourselves a disservice by cutting ourselves off from that um we we stunt ourselves that that is so true and um if any if anyone knows me they know that one of my pet peeves has to do with with cultural competency that goes across all of the platforms that actually undergird who i am cultural competency it's in my private practice it's in our ministry it's in my relationships it's in everything that I do because I believe that's how the Lord Jesus Christ has designed it, that he designed it for all people to love everyone in spite of your race, in spite of your, your social economic status, your disabilities, your personality, all of that. And so I make sure that I embrace that in everything that I do. And now as a um, myself, I have a biracial grandson, he's Caucasian and he's African-American. And now that has put me into a whole nother, uh, a whole nother uh, relationship with, with people that we share a grandson. We have a, a, a set of white grandparents and we have a set of black grandparents and we have this little kid in the middle. <laughs> and so we all are actually being able to get into each other's world so that we can learn how to actually parent our grandchild together and actually expose him to a world that is going to be one of multiculturalism. Yeah. And so 
it's it's a challenge when it hits that close to home as well. Mm -hmm. And and I just I did want to mention once again, and I want to reiterate that in order for us to make our society equal, that we have to commit to making unbiased choices mm -hmm. and being anti-racist in all aspects of our life. Now, now, as we go on further in this conversation, I want to, to note what race is and what race is not. Now, race does not biologically exist. Right. Yet, how we identify with race is so powerful. It, it influences our experiences and it shapes our lives. In a society that privileges white people and whiteness, racist ideas are considered normal throughout our media, our culture, our social systems, and our institutions. Historically, racist views justify the unfair treatment and oppression of people of color, including enslavement, segregation, all of that. So we can be led to believe that racism is only about individual mindsets, as you said so eloquently, and that it's only about those policies and whatnot, but we've got to know that it is about our individual choices. That is where the damage comes in at, our individual choices. So in order to create a society that is equal, We've got to commit once again to making those unbiased choices in our lives daily. And being anti-racist means that we're fighting against racism. Racism takes several forms and works most often in tandem with at least one other form to be reinforced. It's in our behavior, it's in our policies, it's in our attitudes, racism. We have racism in our institutions. We have racism that's in our instructional uh, systems. We have racism. Racism is all around us in, our, in the media. We see racism in the media and in currently in our media, many of us have heard the story of Gabby the young lady that unfortunately, God rest her soul, was murdered. And they're saying possibly by her boyfriend. That was all over the media, so sad. And I'm sending prayers to her loved ones. However, that story was covered in depth by the national media and the federal FBI got involved and they looked and they looked and they searched and they poured so much money into and looking for this Caucasian young woman. And when you look at it, I was watching a news, an, a national news program and an African-American woman's son met with, went missing. The gentleman had just graduated from college and he was in med school, second year med student. And he was very, very well liked and very well loved and just a well-rounded African-American young guy. You know what? They didn't send out the yeah. federal, uh, the federal um, agents to investigate that. They, he didn't get national attention. Yeah, uh, I don't think mom, I've heard of that, Pamela. Yeah, the mom <laughs> was on, on TV and she was literally crying and, and crying and in tears how she talked about how the police in her national, in her local area, actually they were being so rude to her when she was asking, why aren't you investigating my child's death? And then she did bring up uh, Gabby's case and saying that, you know, we see bias here, that when people of color are going missing and mm -hmm. whatnot, they're, they're not spending all these resources for them. And that's not to take away anything from this hurting family because they're hurting and I'm hurting because of the loss of life. Yet and still, we see bias even in our news media, our oh, yeah. mainstream news media. When is that going to ever stop? Is the question. Right. Yes. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that as well. 
because yeah. that's current. People are saying, well, maybe Megan and Pamela are talking about things that are historical, but these things are current, uh-huh. current things that are happening that our young people and our millennials that are listening can identify mm-hmm. with. Right. Well, and it's not just the unequal resources going to a missing persons, but, but also the way that um, the way that the news portrays people differently in general, um, they, uh, they, they love to flash horrible pictures of, of, um, of people of color when they're ever suspects or anything like that, or something's going on. And then, uh, you know, a, a young white man goes on a shooting spree, which mo- uh, I think most like in the 90 percentile of something like that. I, I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but mass shootings, that, that's a problem of radicalized young white men. So that's, but, but we don't talk about that. And, and when they're shown on TV, it's all smiling and, you know, good looking or whatever. And, and not, there's, there's just an incredibly unequal way that they are portrayed. Um, so it's not even, it's not even just, an issue of resources. It's it's about it's about the pictures that are used and the words that are used. Right. That's and it's it's just it goes you know and I don't even I I don't know how much of it is intentional or unconscious. Um, there was uh, I remember a news I was listening to a news um, uh, caster talk about the. Uh, the, the child tax credit, how it's now um, being paid out monthly instead of as a annual thing like we've had on our taxes. Um, right. And uh, so before, before that was actually coming out to play, um, the, it, it, the, the person said, said something along the lines of, um, that this is this is going to help black people out of poverty or something like that and the mm-hmm. person that was the, the other person on the interview was saying what, what, this is going to help all people like this is this is you know this is not just this is not a this is not a handout for black people this is this is a tax credit that people were getting before that is being changed in the way that it's distributed so that it can be more beneficial to all families, and and it was it's just, and the person was like, oh oh right right of course of course you know but and, and it was like she had this idea that only only uh, that all black people are poor or that right. all poor people are black and I'm like wait a minute actually most people who live on in the poverty line are white there's still there's still mostly white people under the poverty line um, and. So it's it's unequal perceptions, it's unequal um, intentions, and and so you know, like I like I said in the beginning, once you start seeing it, you see it everywhere. Um, I you know the person on that that newscaster, she wasn't thinking, she was just talking, mm-hmm. and it was just her the what she what she knew. It was her her unconscious bias, I believe. I don't right. think it, it didn't sound like she was trying to be malicious or, or anything, but it was, but that's, that, that was her, her inaccurate understanding. And so once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it and you have to address it and you have to speak up. Um, yes. And it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey that you're on that has no destination. Like there's no finish line when we're, we're, we in our lifetime are not going to reach this finish line and say, well, we've done, we're, we've, we've made it, <laughs> check that exactly. box. It, we're not going to get there. Um, no. But also we, we aren't going to be perfect at it either. Like there's going to be plenty of opportunities to make mistakes and I say the wrong thing. And I, um, uh, you know, I, one of the things that uh, I know stops white people from speaking up is fear of saying the wrong thing. That's right. So, 
Um, but I bet I, I guess maybe it's better to say the wrong thing and <laughs> than to say and nothing I, at all. Not say anything. I had a conversation with my son yesterday, and I was saying that you know we have people that are out helping with with the problem of systemic racism, and they're actively championing the cause. And then we have people that are they're helping, but they're helping be, behind the scenes intentionally because they are afraid to get out there and be the hands and feet of the problem. So they'll donate large sums of money and they'll hide behind their glass walls and never come out and show their faces and maybe even donate anonymously, which is fine. However, there comes a time when my son and I were talking that you've got to get out there and show your face and be right yeah. there at the table. There's a seat at the table for everyone and you've got to come forth, come from behind the glass, the glass wall and show who you are and not be afraid. Because if you ask me, my son said, well, mom, it seems to me that, you know, like those people are just at fault as well because they really won't come up and stand up and show who they are and say, no, I won't stand for this. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when I first started my journey, the, the, um, wisdom of the day was that as a white person, I've been at the table for too long and mm -hmm. I've had my privilege to speak for too long. And so as a white person who wanted to be on this anti-racist journey, mm -hmm. uh, my job was to sit down, sit back and shut up. Oh my. And, and that, really? that's exactly what I was told to do. And, really? and so it was, I was told to learn, to, to, to educate myself um, and to not get in the way of people of color who are leading and, and to use my privilege to help uh, people of color be the ones who are in front leading, sitting at the table and all that stuff. And so I think that that, yeah. I think that that was good advice for the time. Um, and, and I think that people have tried to do that. So, um, maybe I, maybe I hope some of the people who are, who are donating money, but not standing on the front lines are, are still working with that, um, that advice. And this advice came from, from the, the black facilitator. It was, and, and, and it's perfectly acceptable to, to, it, it made sense. Um, but now I think that that model isn't serving us either. I think uh -huh. we have to stand together. Well, maybe I think that when I, when I hear what you hear you saying that, I think maybe the person, you know, under, 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 underneath that person's, uh, subconscious, subconscious, uh, verbalization was, um, a fear that not you, but 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 people wanted to maybe take over, just yeah. take over, push the black people to the to the for, you know back behind the scenes yeah. to do what they, they usually do. <laughs> exactly, and they just yeah. take over. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that's that was why that was why the 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 wisdom of the day was you need to to fight against your urge to take over. Um, and, 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 you know, given the fact that the room was mostly old white men who tend to want to take over, um, yeah. I, I think that's, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that it was, it was bad advice. I think it was the right advice for the time, but it also, for me on my journey, what it meant was then fast forward many years, I was in another training um, and I was asked, we were seated at round tables that were intentionally blended tables. And I was asked to share my story. And I found that I, I, I was, I, I, I couldn't say anything. I, I didn't, I, I was sort of almost like paralyzed because I, I'm like, I, but, but I was told my story was not, was, this isn't about me. This is not. And so I didn't even, um, I was, I've had to unlearn that too. So I, I think what I'm, trying to say overall is that this is a journey and we're all on it and we're trying to figure it out and we're trying to dismantle these insidious oppressive systems 
We know they're insidious. We know they're oppressive. We're trying to undo it and build something better, but we, we're not always going to get it right. <laughs> we're going to screw up. And then, but we can have grace with each other and we can have forgiveness and encouragement and support. And we can say, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. <laughs> so exactly. long as that we, we keep the, the end goal together and try to, um, and just keep moving, keep working at it. Um, but no, we're not going to always get it right. That's right. And we can't be a, a fragile and we can't wear our feelings in our shoes. Yeah, we can't, we can't because what that person said to you, if, if I was a person that was, that was green, I'd say just starting out mm-hmm. and someone said that to me, uh, that may have discouraged me to the degree that I would have stopped altogether attending any meetings and wanting to be out there at the table. Yeah, that could have pushed me totally out of the race and all. So we've got to really have those broad shoulders, not wear feelings in our shoes, because this is a topic that is very sensitive, but at the same time, it is one that is very uncomfortable to talk about, but then people can be become very upset and they can come out of pocket and they can lose it on both sides because it's almost as if we're pointing fingers at people and no one wants their fingers pointed at them and told that they're doing something wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Oh, it is. It's such a hard topic. It's so emotional on all sides. It's emotional. There's, um, there's no way around it. Um, except through it with grace, with forgiveness, with, um, with understanding and uh yeah um and it and it is important to to lift up the voices like if i go to a rally or something like that i'm not going to i'm not going to try and think that i have the the end you know the most important thing to say i'm it's not that's that's not what it's about but um yeah. yeah Yeah, but then again, you know, sometimes when when people speak as though that they the advice that was given to you that was kind of not sitting with me well. Sometimes when people think it that way, sometimes it's um, because there's something laying dormant inside of them also that needs some healing. That something could have happened in that particular person's personal life that that actually caused them to feel that way and they've never really been able to heal from that so as a therapist I teach that yeah good insight yeah yeah that some things lay dormant and then they are triggered yeah yeah they when they are triggered they come out in in certain ways you know that that actually also leads to I think a really important thing to remember for for anyone on the journey um is that it's bigger than one person. It's bigger than a, a, a group of people, right? So when, you know, so maybe one person says something um, that is speaking from a, a place of pain uh, or offense or something like that. Um, if one person offends you, you can't let that be the thing that knocks you out of the journey because it's bigger than that. And, and, and I think that that's, where you have to have an abundance of grace and forgiveness for each other, right? Like, um, like I know, I'm sure I have said something offensive in the past. I'm sure I've, but that I'm unaware of. And mm-hmm. uh, so, but that, I hope that that didn't mean that it, somebody stopped learning because of that. Um, and, and just because, just because one person screws up doesn't mean it the fight is not worth fighting that, that is so true that that is so true and you know and, and as we as we bring our our discussion to a conclusion I want to uh, take us to a little bit about what the, what is the bible saying about this uh current 
situation in which we're going through and, and the new order of direction that our, our lives seem to be taking. And we wonder, well, will we ever, will we ever get back to being normal per se? Will we ever get back to there? And how does this tie into systemic racism? Well, it ties into it this way. And I, when I look at some passages of scripture, and I, I look at the story of Pentecost. Many of us that are listening, we know the story of Pentecost. And many Christian scholars, they point to, to two verses. They point to that verse in Genesis 1 and 1, verse 1. And it talks about in the beginning, how God created the heaven and he created the earth. And it was formless. It was empty. It was dark. When we look at that, we look at this as being like a picture of things being so disorganized, so uncertain, because it was the beginning of time. It had no order. It was formless. There was confusion and it was dark. So when we look at this in the light of this current pandemic, the pandemic of systemic racism, I'm calling it, when we likened it to that, we can think about the Holy Spirit kind of hovering over the whole process, just like in the beginning when he created things in Genesis. The Holy Spirit, we know, was hovering over that process. And when we look at that, we can deliberately see that even though right now things are seem to be a little bit chaotic in the pandemic and definitely chaotic with, with systemic racism, we can find comfort that the Holy Spirit is looking over these things that God is taking action to bring order. You know, in Genesis chapter one, verse three, it talks about that how God said that there would be light, that there could be light. And so in our current situation of systemic racism and in the, through this pandemic, that even though it's a confusion time, it's a time of chaos, a time of darkness, that the Holy Spirit is hovering over this whole thing to bring order from the chaos and the, from the confusion that we're experiencing. So just like on the day of Pentecost, when all those people came together, they came together, they were from different nationalities, they spoke in different languages. And it talks about that in Acts 2 verses 1 and 2, it talks about how that there was a sudden sound like a violent wind that came from heaven and it filled the whole house and it transformed things. I believe that we're going through a time right now that the Holy Spirit is transforming and bringing order, divine order to all of us so that we can actually function in harmony. So even though it's still too early right now to know what is going to happen out of this pandemic and how this is going to help with systemic racism because it is because it's an opportunity like you knew it was Megan so now it is the time right now it's the time for us to pray it's the time for us to reflect it's the time for us to listen more intently to God's voice. Our ethical decision-making models should be used with greater intention as we navigate through the futures of our ministries. So we need to practice discernment, just like Megan did. She discerned that the Lord wanted to use this pandemic as an opportunity for her to champion the cause of teaching about systemic racism. Won't you embrace what the Lord is doing right now through you when dealing with systemic racism? My question is to you today, recognize that this is your Pentecost moment. The spirit is hovering over you right now. He's bringing, he is bringing peace. He is bringing calm to these tense situations. He desires harmony throughout our systems. He desires us to actually function together as one, as one living, breathing, 
and believing that in Christ Jesus, we have our being. Let's say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, and live and move only inside of us to the degree that we are listening to what you are leading us to do, not from a place of comfort, but a place of discomfort. We said in the beginning of this podcast that Megan, Megan was able to direct her thoughts whereby finding peace and practical ways to help in this time. This is an opportunity, those that are listening, it's an opportunity for you to pull on the Lord and his sovereignty during this pandemic. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. Megan, I would like to thank you for going into those often uncharted waters and being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Megan. It really touches my heart that you have within you the ability to reach down deep past your own understanding and tap into the Holy Spirit that lives so beautifully on the inside of you and help those that are hurting, lost, and also help those that are privileged and don't even realize it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. One share that we didn't cover before we end the podcast. Would there be anything else that you would like to share with our listening audience before we end the podcast, Megan? Um, I would just like to say thank you for this opportunity to talk with you today. Uh, I really appreciated it, and uh, and and I hope it's I hope it's helpful. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that it will be more than helpful. More than helpful. I've been always taught that what comes from the heart goes to the heart. So the heart of the matter came from you. And I believe that our listening audience will be greatly impacted by this conversation that was difficult to have, I have to say. But it has to be. It has to be one that is had. Thank you all for listening once again to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Be sure to tune in to the podcast on Spotify on RSS feed, on Wix.com, on Google Podcasts, Reason FM, and Amazon Music Podcast. Happy reading, happy blooming, happy learning, happy unlearning, and thank you for joining us today for the Lotus Flower Podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Have a blessed day. Thanks for having me. You too. Bye.